This is Brian Jodis, and you're listening to the PEFNC Podcast. Back once again, Brian Jodis here with the PEFNC Podcast. My guest today in our Empowered Parents series is James Martin from Fayetteville. James, how are you? Good, Brian. Good. Thanks for letting me on the show. Appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah, so excited to have you today. We got a chance to connect offline yesterday uh, before doing this podcast today, and I was real fired up after hearing your story and, and motivated by your family's dedication to find the educational environment that is the right fit for your daughter, Mia, and and, uh, and grateful that you're willing to take a few minutes and connect with us and, and share that story with our listeners today. So James, first and foremost, tell us a little bit about Mia, her educational journey to date. We're going to talk about uh, some scholarship programs that you guys have access to and how you've navigated those and, and maybe the future of those. But, you know, to date, what's her educational journey been like? And just tell us a little bit about Mia. Okay. So Mia is 11 years old, um, initially diagnosed at three years of age. Um, she's echolaic, nonverbal, um, pretty active, but, you know, is is difficulty maintaining eye contact, focusing, interacting, um, and other things. But uh, so initially diagnosed at three, it was one of those things where we were going uh, to daycare on post and uh, I was on active duty at the time. And, uh, you know, they, they were saying, hey, she looks like she's showing signs and symptoms of autism. You need to you need to get a diagnosis and didn't even think about it. I always thought it was a speech delay. Wife's uh, Korean from Korea. Whenever I deployed, she would go back to Korea and stay with her about a year and a half in Korea with like total immersion training. So I figured she was working between um, two languages. Yeah. But sure enough, we got her, uh, we got her tested and she was diagnosed and she had autism. So she was enrolled into the early intervention program here with Cumberland County. Um, She went to a kindergarten that was mainstreamed for the year. But at the end, when we had her IEP, it was determined that it would be better for her to be in a self-contained classroom. So she spent first to fourth grade in public school over at Cliftdale Elementary. And the first year we were actually able to get ABA services into the school, which was great. Um, But for some reason, after that first year, Cumberland County decided that, no, we're not having ABA services um, come in from external sources. The other challenge was that they didn't have ABA services inside the school system. So what we ended up doing for those three years that we didn't have services allowed in the school was we started pulling 12 hour days. My yeah. daughter would mm-hmm. wake up about six, you know, we get her on the bus you know, about six 45, seven o'clock. She'd be at school till one. I pick her up at two to, you know, get her some lunch, travel over to the clinic and she'd be at ABA from eight to six in the evening. Hey James, um, for, for our listeners who maybe don't know what ABA stands for and many will because they've lived this life, but do you mind explaining what that is for us? Sure. Advanced behavior analysis. What it is, is you have a technician who is side by side working with your daughter and her behaviors, trying to address the limitations Mm -hmm. in terms of her interaction, her focus, trying to redirect her when she's having meltdowns, who's trying to get her to work in the confines of her environment and address her limitations. So that is extremely important, especially in a school setting, because Mm -hmm. You know, my daughter, she's not the easiest to work with. She doesn't work in a very typical environment very well. She needs a lot of direction. She needs a lot of focus. 
Um, especially if she has a meltdown, she needs to be able to, you know, have that be addressed, refocused, and then reintegrated into the learning environment. So, and that's somebody who works with her during the duration of the session. Um, it's, it's helped her in terms of her coming out of her shell, being able to integrate with us, um, communicate with us, especially verbally. Um, some, some simple things as she'll say water and it'll be one of those things where it's like, well, what do you want? She'll be like, I want water. Okay. And you just, you just have to keep working those mechanics of getting it out of her. And that's what ABA does. Right. Um, and, and thus the need for important. that real. And you can see the progress over the years. Right. And um, thus the need for that real one-to-one uh, connection ability that's able to happen there. So you guys are doing this split time, uh, a method where she's at, you know, a physical traditional school first half of the day, taking her to a different environment for the second half. At some point, do, do you get to a point in this process where that's just not working for her and your family? Do, do you realize that something's got to got to change here? Yeah. So we did this for a couple of years because at the time it was the only option. We couldn't, we didn't, we didn't, I mean, if we were going to get her services, it had to be outside of the school system, but you still had to meet the requirements of, you know, the education and truancy and all that other stuff. So we tried to get her into a private school and we attempted that. Um, we tried uh, a you know, Cumberland County Christian schools, and they were wonderful. They worked great during the summer school. It was a very open environment. They were going out of their way to work with her. The challenge we had was that when she started going into the school, you know, the school session, mm-hmm. it was now 18 kids to a classroom. It was a much more rigid structure. And she just was not able to stay in that environment. It just yeah. wasn't working out. So after a month of trying, we just, we just couldn't keep her there. So we had to take her back into public school and then we were pulling those long days again. And then finally, uh, uh, a new leaf therapeutic services and first impressions Academy, um, had come up with what they called a school clinic. And this is where you've got a classroom of six kids going into, um, the clinic with an ABA therapist per each child and a special needs teacher from First Impressions Academy going in there. So the student ratio is like seven yeah, adults to six kids. incredible. So, but it's really, a, I mean, it's really a partnership between these two entities, right? So you've got a small private academy, then you also have this clinical setting and basically what they've done. And I was so amazed by hearing about this innovation and ingenuity that's able to happen really because of flexibility and, and size and an openness to partnership. You take these two entities, an academy and a clinic, and they merge together. And in that, this super small classroom size, six kids with an ABA specialist per child, which to me is absolutely incredible. And then a special needs teacher in there, they're able to blend this and marry this to provide this not only educational environment, but clinical environment for these students. And and what has that place been for you guys and for Mia? Oh, it's been a lifesaver. It's truly been a blessing. The uh, it's one of the things we've been challenged with, you know, trying to outs, you know, trying to balance these two between behavior and education is that you'd have a child working in two different environments. And yeah. so you'd have like a child almost being in two different areas, being two different people. You'd have her in the education environment and then you'd have her something different in behavioral. And so when something would happen at school, I would talk to the behavior analyst and they're like, well, she doesn't do that here. Right. Yeah. You know? 
So it'd be like, and you try to explain it, but the two would never be able to talk to each other here. It's almost like instead of mom staying with, you know, the child staying with dad and then staying with, it's like having both parents there, you get the behavioral and you get the educational aspects, both being there at the same time, addressing the Mm -hmm. same thing at the same child and addressing the challenges that come with that child per child at the same time. So if she's struggling in terms of a particular you know, classwork assignment and stuff like that. And it's a behavioral challenge. It can be addressed. Right. If it's an educational challenge where it's just, she's not getting the curriculum that can be addressed. And but it's all got- happening together at the same time. All simultaneously. All right. It's let's beautiful. give a shout out. Let's give a shout out. That's a new leaf Academy uh, in Fayetteville that has essentially created this environment for these children, which just sounds uh, absolutely amazing. So James, again, grateful for your ability to come on and share and be open about this, share Mia's journey. You know, these, uh, these schools access to these kinds of learning environments, let's be honest, it's not cheap. It's not always easy for families to be able to afford this level of care and need that their child needs. And and obviously you guys are willing to do whatever it takes to get there. But I feel like families in our state are very blessed and fortunate to have access to some scholarship programs that the state of North Carolina sponsors, one of which is the Opportunity Scholarship Program, which helps families gain access to private education. The other two are a disabilities grant and an education savings account, which helps students with special needs. You guys had access to the Opportunity Scholarship Program, but you were on the outside looking in for the Disabilities Grant and for the ESA until last year. So take me back to last fall when you're able to finally get access to the Disabilities Grant and ESA because of some COVID relief funding. So what was that process like for you guys? So we initially enrolled in the programs. We applied for the scholarships, the grants, and the ESA all at the same time. Um, We just really... We got the opportunity scholarship, but the grants and the ESA, they just, the funding wasn't available. Yep. You guys are in there and, and our listeners will know families have lived this. There's a different tiers and you guys were essentially tier three, which to get access to a scholarship at a tier three level. And if you listen to our interview with Rebecca a week ago about Gabe's story, they were in a similar position. It, it, it's very rare if a tier three family is able to ultimately get access to those scholarships, just based on the current funding that's available and the amount of kids that are already on them. Trust me, we've got to grow those scholarships. Uh, we're working to ensure that we do, but in the position you guys were in, it just, there wasn't much of a chance to get them. Right. Right. And so the school itself is about 13,000 a year mm-hmm. because class is so small right? and you pay for all the, the teachers and, and everything. Um, so it's not cheap. And we were, I mean, we were trying this just because this is what we were doing. This is what we were sacrificing to get yeah. our child the best opportunity because she was not thriving in the private school. Um, and I don't know how much she would have been able to thrive in a private school with ABA therapists here, because it's a clinical environment, she really soars because behavior gets addressed first. Um, So we were paying out of pocket. And then all of a sudden the CARES Act came along and we got notification that, Hey, there's additional funding available. Would you like to apply for it? And I was like, yes. And so that actually made it possible for my daughter to attend this year. And if we're able to get it for, I mean, we've applied for the, the grants and scholarships in the ESA this year, being able to get those, actually just being able to have an option to renew those. Yeah. Phenomenal because that would make it from her going to school being possible to her going to school at this clinic uh, sustainable. 
you know, our, our legislative call to action here related to that is to encourage our leaders at the North Carolina General Assembly to, to have those families like James, uh, like Rebecca from a week ago, who were able to get access to these scholarships instead of having to reapply for them next year to be able to re-enroll in those. And so, and, and, uh, and we're so grateful for our leaders that stepped up last fall and, and were able to go, you know, get that funding and make it available. But let's see if we can help families just renew these scholarships at this point. James, before we let you go, j- just tell me about, you, you said life-changing for her. What has that transformation been like in this setting. And what, what we love about it here at PFNC is what we've always said is families should have access to the school, make and model, whatever that looks like, that is the right fit for their child. And we have seen such a a, a resurgence uh, and even just a, a groundswell in this idea that kids got to be in the right fit for them. And this mm. clearly proves that, you know, if the public school wasn't working it doesn't mean that the necessarily the private school setting is going to automatically be the answer as specifically as it was for your child. She needed something different. So what has that transformation for her been like since becoming part of this new leaf Academy family? So my daughter, um, you know, she is somewhat aggressive. Mm-hmm. And so, and she's, I mean, she's very taxing. She's all over the place. Um, very energetic. And so when we were in public school, it would be her and 15 other children with autism and you'd have one teacher and one assistant teacher. And, you know, depending on, you know, their different abilities, my daughter probably took most of their time because she was so consuming right. uh, in terms of attention. And so it pulled away from the other kids. Um, it made it very difficult to educate her. And so most of the time I feel she was just, I mean, she was almost like a free radical. She'd just be kind of all over the place. And so it wasn't a very, conducive learning environment, bless their hearts. They were doing the best yeah, that they could. Sure. But, um, but even, even with the private school, um, they were great. They were going above and beyond, uh, to help us, but her aggression levels, nobody wants, I mean, nobody wants to send their kid to private school to have, you know, their child be exposed to aggression and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it just, you couldn't stay, but having it in a clinical environment where the behavior gets addressed first was so paramount because if you can address the behavior, you can then address the education. If you try addressing the education and then the behavior, it's, it's not going to work. Yeah. You need to get the child focused. You need to get them, you know, attentive to what they we're trying to do, get them in the right place, the right setting where it's, it's not distracting. It's not overwhelming. You don't have a lot of auditory, you know, visual senses that are just overloading them. It's a very sterile environment. It's very conducive to their learning. And then you can teach them and you do it side by side, hand in hand. I mean, it's, and for her, she came in, I mean, she's supposed to be going in the sixth grade next year. She came in at like uh, core competency about first and second grade. Mm-hmm. And now she's at a fourth grade level. Wow. And it's been about what, six, seven months. Yeah. So just having that ability to get her to focus and get her to just um, thrive in that environment. I, I honestly feel that this is one of the best environments you could possibly have for a child for autism because in, in schools, they may be able to do okay. But I mean, here she thrives. She's able to thrive. Mm-hmm. Kids who, who are typical, you know, if they go to public school and they don't like it or the parents feel they're not getting the proper education, well, they have options. They can send them to private school. They can get them tutoring and stuff like that. For children with autism, it's very difficult to find an environment for the kids to thrive. And this is fortunately one that we've, we've been able to 
obtain. And I, I just why, hope. It's, yeah, it's why we just believe so much in in families being able to explore those options and, and find what's the right fit. You know, um, not too far from you, uh, you know, we've had the very distinct privilege and honor of getting to know Amy Sparks at the School of Hope, right? For the children that are enrolled in that school, that that for many of them, uh, all of them there really, that's the right fit for them. It, but it doesn't oh, yeah. mean it's the right fit for everyone. It doesn't mean that the charter down the street is the right fit. It doesn't mean that homeschooling your child might be the right fit. It just means that we've got to be able to find these options and what this uh, academy has done for your family specifically has made it the right choice. And thus, it's a choice that needs to be on the table. James, so thankful for uh, your time this morning. So grateful for you to, to share your story and share Mia's story. We wish you guys nothing but the best in the future. And let's go out there and see if we can't fight for uh, the longevity of these programs, for expanding these programs. So not only that your family can have access to them, so that more families across our state can have access to them as well. James, we thank you for your time. This is Brian Jodison. You've been listening to the PEFNC podcast.